Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. We are looking this morning at discipleship, and in a moment we're going to have a video that's going to recap uh, some of the last few Sundays that we've had together. And we go back to the time of Jesus' arrest, the night that uh, before he was crucified, and his disciples, when he was arrested, just all ran. They just fled. And exactly as Jesus said it was going to happen, Peter denied Jesus three times, denied that he was a follower, denied that he even knew him. And then Jesus was crucified. And on that first Easter, when the women went to the tomb, they found the tomb empty. And the angel said, go and tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. And then last week, we have Jesus there on the shore, talking with Peter. And just as Peter had denied Jesus three times, three times, Jesus lets Peter know he's been forgiven, he's been restored, And he also gives Peter a trusted task, a trusted responsibility. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. So our bulletin cover, last week and this week both, forgiven, restored, and called to a responsibility for Jesus. So today we want to look at what that looks like, being a disciple of Jesus, forgiven, restored, and given a responsibility to tell others to love others, to love each other, to keep our lives true to our calling, to surrender everything, including ourselves. So you might be sensing it's a heavy topic coming up, so we're going to lighten up for just a moment as we watch a video about Jesus and Peter. Catch the last line in this video. Jesus says to Peter, it's not about you, it's always about me. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus said, you, you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. (laughs) This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, male words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. 
I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and she said that the, there was an angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so, me and John, we hightailed it down there, and if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter... Go tell the disciples and Peter... You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No. What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. It's not about you. It's always about me, Jesus says. Discipleship. It's easy to say, really. Jesus, I want to live my life for you. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to say what you want me to say. And yes, with your help, I'll just do it. This morning we're going to read what Jesus says about the cost of being a disciple. Reading from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. I'm using the message translation. So on page 848 in the Bibles uh, in your pews, or you can watch it on the screen. Counting the cost. One day when large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, cannot be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me cannot be my disciple. Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other? And if he decides he cannot, won't he send an emissary and work out a truce? Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, 
whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you cannot be my disciple. Salt is excellent, but if the salt goes flat, it's useless, good for nothing. Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I had a professor who used to say, as you're reading the Bible, as you're preaching, as you're teaching, just remember three words, context, context, context. So when we read verses from the Bible, it's so good to read some of the verses before and some of the verses after, maybe a chapter before, a chapter after. So here in Luke's Gospel in chapter 14, right from the start, we have Jesus, he heals first of all in the Sabbath, but that gets him into trouble with some of the religious leaders. They say, no, no, we don't do it that way. And he replies to them, don't be judging me. If something is so important to you, even on a Sabbath, you'll look after your own interests. And then we find Jesus as a guest at a dinner, and most of you and I, if we go to a dinner and we're invited out, there's a crowd there, we want to sort of look our best and try to fit in and uh, be accepted and liked. But Jesus notices that there are some of them who want the best seats, and he calls them on it, not only for their bad manners, but he says, you need a lesson in humility, and he gives them one. And then someone tries to impress him with a compliment and some religious talk about the banquet and God's kingdom. And Jesus responds by telling them a story about a host who sent out invitations to a great banquet. But when it came time, the excuses started to come in. They had better priorities. So the host goes out and invites people that the invited guests would never associate with. And the host says about those original invited guests, they will never get even a taste from my banquet table. The story is about the kingdom of God, where God is the host inviting us. Hard-hitting words of Jesus in the, in the chapter, in chapter 14. And then we come to these verses on the cost of being a disciple. And Jesus does not sugarcoat that cost for a moment. So I'd like to take a magnifying glass and go into this teaching just a little bit. Jesus has a large crowd following him, and they like him very much. He's been doing miracles. He's been teaching with authority. He's been putting those religious leaders in their place, and they're liking that. He's accepting people that some of the religious leaders would not accept. So Jesus is described as a tourist attraction of his day, and we might reverently, I hope, say Jesus rocked at that time. They all wanted a piece of him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to follow him. That's where the action was. But Jesus stops, and he turns, and he looks at them, and he says, you must let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, let go of even your own self if you're going to be my disciple. But most of the translations that I looked it up in don't say let go of, they use the word hate. If you want to be my disciples, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your husband, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and even your own life. And we want to say, well, Jesus, what's that, what's that all about? You're using the word hate. The commandments say, honor your father and your mother, not hate them. And what about loving our neighbors as much as we love ourselves? Hate them? No. So you can just feel the, the shock effect 
the ripples that would have gone through the crowd that day. There's one biblical commentator who said it'd be very much like a, a politician on the campaign trail giving an election speech, and he says, vote for me. But when you vote for me, you're going to be voting for higher taxes and lower wages. Probably going to lose your home. But vote for me. Decide in favor of losing all the things you love best. Sign up. Vote for me. I think any crowd wouldn't even bother to throw the rotten tomatoes. They would just shake their heads and walk away. So this same biblical commentator gave another comparison. He said, you might think of it as a, a leader of a great expedition, and they're going through a very dangerous high mountain pass, trying to get some medical supplies urgently to villagers who have been cut off from the rest of the world. But the leader stops, and he says, before we can go any farther, you've got to leave a lot of your stuff here. This path is too steep, it's too dangerous for you to be carrying a lot of what you're taking, and you're probably not going to get it back. And while we're here, you might want to send a text, a message back home. This is dangerous. Some of us are not going to get back. Jesus, our leader, is calling us to be disciples. He needs us to know what that means. First of all, it does mean letting go of father and mother and spouse, family. And Jesus is not denying for even a moment how important family is, how important relationships are. And you'll often hear me say we can only love our spouse and love our, our children and our siblings best when we love Jesus more. And you'll also hear me say God first and then family and then the church. But it has to be Jesus and Jesus more. And then Jesus says, let go of even your own self. And we live in a culture that doesn't speak to that. We live in a culture where it's all about me. And we come in from that culture. We live in it all week long. So to try to come in, we've been caught in that individualistic, self-absorbed attitude. But we hear this morning, Jesus first. Our wants, our preferences, our comfort, second. Our goals, our plans, our ambitions, second. I like the story of a family who had goals. They had some goals through their daughter, actually. Um, she was the only one who was going to receive a university education. They sent her off to Duke University. They were so proud. They were wondering what she was going to become, a professor, a doctor, a business executive. Later on, they talked about their daughter, how she had had this conversion experience in her junior year, how something got hold of her, and how there was someone to whom she wanted to give her life. And her plans all got rearranged. And they ended up saying, let us tell you about our daughter. She's digging ditches in East Africa with the Peace Corps. Our plans, our dreams, our goals surrendered as a disciple of Jesus. And of course our possessions, everything is at risk. If we take this seriously, we could literally be called upon to give up everything in response to Jesus' call. I've always loved the expression, use loose tent pegs. When you're putting up your tent, use loose pegs. Don't push them down too tight. And I also like use a, a, a loose grip. Have a loose grip on what's in your life. 
But the exciting part of that is as we have those loose tent pegs and a loose grip, Jesus has a grip on us. But it is an all or nothing challenge to be a disciple. So we have to ask this morning, where is it all about you and all about me instead of all about Jesus? Where is it all about Emmanuel Baptist Church instead of all about Jesus? What are you and I holding on to? Where are you and I entrenched? What do you and I need to take up? What do you and I need to lay aside? Well, the good news is that we're all here this morning. We could be sleeping in. We could be out enjoying this beautiful day. We could be catching up on things we don't have time to do through the week. Maybe watching Netflix or on the computer. Any number of things. So it is good news that we're all here this morning. And there could be a number of reasons that we are here. It could be the music. Hope FM, wonderful music this morning. This beautiful building and its technology. Lots of nice people. Community service that gets done from here. Maybe a few thoughts out of a sermon to kind of recharge you for the coming week. We might even be here to have our ego stroked as we lead and serve. You may have come for those things and you may go back home totally untouched. Rest well tonight, unaffected by any message on the cost of discipleship. Or just maybe something's going to click for you this morning, call you to something deeper, to what it means to be a disciple, even though you're hearing the hard costs. Just maybe you'll leave here this morning and life will never be the same again. You see, we can come to church and we can work hard here and we can be leaders and we can serve here and in community. We can still be a follower without being a disciple. I'm going to use some of the words of William Barclay. He's a biblical scholar and I'm using his words so he can take all the blame and I don't get blamed for what I'm going to say right now. He says that we can be a follower without being a disciple, a camp follower without being a soldier, a hanger-on in some great work without ever pulling our own weight. Quote, it is one of the supreme handicaps of the church that in it, in the church, there are so many distant followers of Jesus and so few real disciples. That strikes fear in my heart. That you and I could be a supreme handicap to Jesus, to his church, to kingdom work, to even for someone coming to know the Lord. Someone mentioned to a great scholar about a, a young man who had been his student, and the teacher just said, oh no. He said, that young man may have attended lectures that I taught, but he was not one of my students. Could that be us? Maybe coming into church, hearing a lecture, but never a student of Jesus. We can fool ourselves so much, so easily, can't we? I think we're doing very well. Other people's names will come to mind. They go, oh, we're doing very well compared to them. Until we sit down one-on-one, -on -one, all by ourselves with Jesus, look him in the eye, hear his voice, try to tell him how we're doing as a disciple. An honest account. It is all or nothing. The cost is high. A lobster having to leave its shell in order to grow is an example of discipleship. See, if this 
describes in any way how you might feel, how I feel, how this church might feel in this time of transition. A lobster needs its shell to protect it from being torn apart. And yet when it grows, the old shell has to be abandoned. If not, that old shell soon becomes a prison, even a casket. So but the tricky part is that brief period in between when the old shell is discarded and the new one is being formed. It's a terribly vulnerable period, scary for the lobster. The currents just whip it all over the place. Hungry schools of fish start to feed off it. For a while at least, it looks like going back into that old shell looks pretty good. The writer of that says that we are not so different from lobsters. To change and to grow, we must sometimes shed our shells. The structure, the framework we've depended on. Discipleship means being so committed to Christ that when he bids us to follow, we will change, we will risk, we will grow, and we will leave our shells behind. As I mentioned earlier, this is heavy. If you're anything like me, you're like a little four-year-old boy, his name was Benji. And his mother thought, oh, maybe it's time for Benji to give his heart to Jesus, and she wanted to have a talk to him about that. And little Benji, those big blue eyes, just looked at his mom, and he said, no, I don't think I want that much responsibility. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like that, and I'm sure you do as well can't do this. I just can't do it. And that's why it's all about Jesus and not about us. What a wonderful truth that we are not alone in this. We read these hard demands of being a disciple, but we need to read the whole Bible, get the big picture. God delights in us. Jesus said that he has come that we would have life and an abundance of life. And he says, bring your burdens to me. I'll help you carry them. We are blessed, he says, when we realize our need for him, when we get to that place. And when we are at that place, the kingdom of heaven is ours. And he said, if we know how to give good gifts to our children and to others that we love, how much more is God going to give us the Holy Spirit and good gifts into our lives? And over and over, we read in our Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, don't be afraid Jesus said peace, a peace that goes beyond understanding in our world today. And Jesus intercedes, he prays for us. The Holy Spirit groans for us. So we have God, we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, working on our behalf. Yes, Jesus, it is always and always about you. Last year, when I was teaching a lesson at Bethany, the church that I was at, I was teaching from a different passage altogether, a similar lesson in a way. And the Lord led me to a radical challenge. A biblical commentator, his last name is Lane, I think the first name was William, I want to give him credit. A challenge to a radical discipleship. And I had to pray those words to myself as I was preparing the message, and then I led our congregation to them. So I'll ask that they be put up on the screen now. We hear yes. 
It is a prayer. So I would say, please don't pray it until the Lord leads you to really mean it. And the prayer is this, would you claim me, Jesus, utterly and completely? Order the removal of every other support that could interfere with my unconditional obedience. As I prayed on that, as I taught it from a pulpit, my life started to change and a lot of supports got pulled out. And they continue to be pulled out. And some days are very, very hard, but all oh, the blessings, the freedom that comes from that. Claim me utterly and completely. Order the removal of every other support that could interfere with my unconditional obedience. I don't know what persecution is ahead of us as Christians. I don't know what service you and I might be called to. I don't know what we are going to be asked to surrender and give up. I don't know what changes, what comforts, what preferences. But I do know that we can pray that prayer, Jesus, claim me utterly and completely, because we can have an absolute confidence in his loving care for us. He's got us. Yes, in every way, it's always about you, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for those who have had courage even to take one step towards that prayer, we can't do it without you. It's always about you, Jesus. So may we leave here today with that on our hearts and our minds. It's about you. Being your disciple, but knowing that you love us, you care for us, you are powerful, you walk beside us, you are with us, you will never leave us. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.